This is episode number 48 with best-selling author, keynote speaker, and expert on execution, Chris McChesney. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. All of you guys know how excited I get about all of these interviews, but excited doesn't even begin to tell you how I felt before and after this one. Chris McChesney is the best-selling author of The Four Disciplines of Execution. He's a highly sought-after speaker and thought leader. He's currently the global practice leader of execution for Franklin Covey, working with some of the biggest names in business, such as Kroger Supermarkets, Coca-Cola, Comcast, Home Depot, Frito-Lay, just to name a few, and helping them implement the four disciplines of execution into their own organizations. I knew from having read his book and watched interviews with Chris that this episode was gonna be an absolute game changer because his content has already been a game changer for me, but he's even exceeded my expectations here in this one. In this episode, Chris talks about his four disciplines of execution. He talks about how we appropriately define goals for ourselves and then what we can do to ensure that we more frequently and effectively act on and execute those goals. He talks through this process with the teams that he's worked with, goals that he set for himself, and just so many great examples for all of you to relate with in your own lives. Get ready for this one, guys, and I can tell you right now that you're going to want to listen to it a few times over. Make sure after this you go buy his book, The Four Disciplines of Execution, from his website, 40xbook.com. Again, 4D as in David, xbook.com. Go ahead and share this episode with a friend who is looking to execute on a higher level. Be someone's hero today by sending them this episode that will shift the way they think about their goals and how they execute upon them. And after you listen, leave a rating and review on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. If you're on the app, just scroll to the bottom, hit five stars, and then leave me a note letting me know your favorite part. You can learn more about Chris on the Franklin Covey website and by finding him and their workshops on LinkedIn. While you're listening, make sure you take a screenshot of the episode to post it on your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you to let me know how much you're absolutely loving it. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on being our best self today with best-selling author, Chris McChesney. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. As you guys always know, I always say I'm fired up for this interview, but that honestly doesn't even begin to describe how I feel about uh, the interview that I've got going right here. I've got the one and only Chris McChesney with me today. Chris, I appreciate your time spending with me today. I'm excited to do this, Nick. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Chris, if you guys don't know who he is, he's a best-selling author of The Four Disciplines of Execution. Uh, he's a highly sought-after speaker and thought leader. And currently, your role is the global practice leader of execution uh, for Franklin Covey. And, you know, we're going to get a lot into the the four disciplines, personal performance, um, your own experiences with the disciplines, um, working with other companies and organizations and trying to implement them for yourself as well. And maybe how, you know, other people can utilize those into their own life so they can max out their own performance. Right. Um, but actually, the way I want to start today is um, talking about a little bit of my 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 own passion like very targeted towards kind of what you work for is one of the couple of ideas that I've been obsessed with is how we can follow through with the promises that we make to ourselves on a, on a higher level. And also because, because I think a lot of us know what to do in a lot of certain situations, but we don't do what we know. Um, so it's, I'm always been trying to figure out like why, like how can we make those things or, or execute those things at a higher level. And a couple of ideas that I've kind of come to is number one is belief and certainty in the sense that like I need to know that whatever action step I'm going to do is going to yield a particular result. Like I need to have that high level of belief or high level right. of certainty. And right. then the other, and then the other thing is, is simplicity basically because 
I know I've heard a lot is that complexity is kind of the enemy of execution. If you don't know, if it's too complex and you don't know where to start, then you're never going to get started in the first place. Or maybe you start, but then you lose track of where exactly you're going. So those are kind of two of the ideas that I've come down to. So I know we're going to get a lot into into that, but I just kind of wanted to lay that foundation real quick. Um, But I also know back at you started uh, working for Stephen R. Covey back in 1991. And I was really interested when you started talking about a story, how you worked for him for about four months before maybe he knew that you worked for him or that he knew that you were part of the company. So I wanted you to kind of start with that story a little bit. Yeah, it's funny. I have to do this disclaimer because there's actually an episode of Seinfeld where Kramer goes to work for a company that didn't hire him. And I have to acknowledge that because people think I'm just making up the Kramer story, but I did this before Kramer did it. (laughs) So I first pretended to sort of work for the newspaper and that's how I got the interview. And thankfully the newspaper published the article I wrote, even though I didn't work for the newspaper either. And then I talked them into an internship that I didn't need. And then I just sort of hung around and they forgot that they hadn't hired me. So four months in, I got called into HR and they said, look, kid, we could be sued because there's this thing called minimum wage laws, and oh you can't just show up here. And but unlike Kramer, they didn't fire me. Uh, they 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 offered me six bucks an hour, and that was 1991. And oh my gosh! Journey started, but but you know what? I was I was hell bent that there wasn't anywhere else I wanted to work or anyone else I wanted to work for. And it's amazing when a person really there's like a level of commitment once you decide. Like there's a no matter what switch. And once the no matter what switch goes, things have a way of falling into place. It's a bizarre. Yeah. And I think it's kind of related um, to what you were just talking about. Um, uh, but, and by the way, let me just say this. I really liked how you started the, the program. That, that first idea that there has to be some, some results, some cause associated with every action. Human beings don't like futility. And in the absence of that connection, it starts to feel futile. And that's where human beings will shut down. You watch where people quit in various phases of life. It's the minute they start to feel futility. And the other thing that you brought up is simplicity. And and there's a whole bunch that we've learned about that one as well. And there's reasons why we don't make it as simple as we should. But yeah, those are two huge themes in the execution phase. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's honestly just come from my own awareness of trying to figure out when like I I always I have a whiteboard in my room that I always give like what I'm going to do on that day and like what my goals are and how I'm going to get to those and when I haven't done certain things I'm like why did I not actually do that and a couple of things that I've come to is that I didn't truly believe deep down that that was actually going to move the needle into getting me to that particular goal so that's kind of how I I guess I came to that um can I give you you a word uh and I don't know if this is helpful or not Sometimes, sometimes words are helpful. Sometimes when you take an idea, what do they say? That uh, the definition of, or the beginning of wisdom is the definition of curves. So the word that we've start, sort of backed into is this idea of a winnable game. Mm-hmm. And do you really, I mean, you might've made a plan, but when you look at it, do you really believe that it's a winnable game or not? And if you do, your likelihood of follow through goes way up. Yeah. And if you're not quite sure it's a winnable game, keep working at it. You're not, you're not there yet. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, that's moving into discipline three, but I kind of want to stay there since we, are, we jumped there. So winnable game. And basically it means that you believe that whatever you're going to do is going to like, has it a, a chance of success, a high chance of success, right? Yeah, so, yeah. And, and I think that is really hard for a lot of people to be honest with themselves. Like everybody, 
you some you know everybody says dream big set lofty goals but there are some people who say like don't go too big so tell talk about like how we can put a finger on deciphering what a winnable game actually is for ourselves and what's actually achievable all right so let me let me frame up the question so if the result is the lag measure and what we define in discipline one or what we sometimes call a wig a wildly important goal right um, and let's stay with weight loss that's the most universally understood dynamic that there is, okay? And so let's say, and we, and we really lock it in, we say we are going to go from 195 pounds to 180 pounds, 15-pound loss by October 1st, right? So basically in like four months, we're going to drop 15 pounds, all right? That's the lag measure. Right. The lead measures are the things I'm going to measure that I'm going to act on that I I believe is the bet to get me back. Now, I either, I either really believe the bet or I don't. And sometimes we never, okay, so let's say the bet is that there's a certain number of, I mean, you're, you, this is your wheelhouse, right? You, you could create a better bet on the spot than I could, but there's a calorie count or there's a diet change. There's a certain amount, but it's got to be measurable. It's got to be trackable that you say, okay, we're going to do this and we think we're going to get this. So now we got discipline one, we got discipline two, which is the thing we're going to do. Discipline three is just how we see it. Mm -hmm. So discipline three is how you get it up and how you look at it. But what's sometimes missing, and Nick, I think it goes to what you were talking about, is this moment of honesty where you have to ask yourself, do I really buy it? And yeah. it's a two-part and, and answer or two-part question. There's two things going on. The first is, will I really do the lead measures? Am I do I believe I'm capable of running that many miles a week, burning that many calories, eating that? Do I really think that it's, can I really get there? And if I do, here's the second part. If I do, will it get me the results? Right. Now that sounds like the most obvious common sense thing in the world. But human beings, while they understand common sense, we're not huge on practicing it. Mm -hmm. and, and so whatever the circumstance, go outside of weight loss. This is what we try and get leaders to do. Leader might be executing a business strategy. There might be a dozen different teams that all make up parts of this objective. What we look for, does each team buy the bet? Right? right. And, 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 and they'll sometimes lie to you. They don't know that they are, but they want to be the good soldier. Do you, do you like where we're going? Are you on board? Yeah, boss, I'm on board. I don't want to be a pain in your neck. But they may not buy the bet. And if you just frame the question a little bit differently, if you say, does, honestly, does this right now feel like a winnable game? Do you feel you can do it? And if you did, you'd get the result. And sometimes in that pause, people will go, where they wouldn't admit before that they weren't on board, now they'll sort of go, I'm a little nervous about, okay, now, thank you. Let's talk about that. But let's get the bet right. That's the construct. That's really the heart of the issue right there for us. Right. And, it, you know, you, you described it, I think, without going into a couple of the terms, but lead measures, you have to believe they're, they're two things. They're predictive, oh, that they're going to actually get you to that particular end result, and then they're influenceable, that you're actually yeah, capable yeah. of getting the things actually done. So I want and you to, I want you to just- And Nick, that's everything else hinges on that construct right there. 
And it's a human, it's, and it's not just an organizational idea or a business idea. Like the people you work with, with the goals, those two, those two predictive influenceable, those two variables are always in play. Mm-hmm. No, so like for me, this was one of my biggest aha moments when I was when I was going through reading your book and, and listening to your stuff because I think that yes, those are important questions to ask, but then for me, I think a really important question to ask is how can you increase the predictability and the capability of the actual lead measures coming through? Because this is actually an idea I thought of beforehand in terms of trying to increase your belief or increase the certainty that your action steps are going to yield a particular result. And I think one way to do that is being surrounded by somebody who is more of an expert in that particular area or has more knowledge in that particular area. So that's one thing that I try to communicate with people in terms of weight loss is it's like, if you don't know the, in this in this sense, lead measures to get you that particular point, right. get yourself around somebody who can help you define what those stepping stones are that are predictive of what you what your goal wants to be. So have you guys found that in kind of working with different organizations of like how to actually, like how do we actually increase those two different things and the capability and the predictability of yeah. lead measures following through? All right, so here's what we've, here's what we've seen. We have never published a list even though we've worked with a hundred hospitals and a thousand hotels, we've never published a list of the lead and lag measures because there is no list. It's very individual. So for instance, one team may know what to do to, to get the number of out of stocks in a grocery, the number of holes, right? They know what to do. They're just not doing it. That's a great lead measure for them. Mm. Another group, another group of grocers, they're not exactly sure how the flow of groceries work. They're not as experienced, so they don't know really what to do. So you can't give that second set the same lead measure because it's not influenceable. They, they don't, right? What's influenceable? I'll give you another example. Let's say, let's go to sales. Okay. Um, I want new accounts as my lag. And my lead measure is first time appointments with someone, Mm -hmm. right? And I watch Jake and Jake's really good at what he does. And Jake focuses on first time appointments. He gets business. So I go out and focus. So you you think of the lead like a lever that moves the rock, right? So first time appointments, get me the sale. Here's the problem, Nick. The guy that's really good, He's strong enough to move the lever. You might not be. Like maybe this, maybe this sales guy's been at it for 20 years and he knows what to do. He doesn't even know how he knows it, but he knows how to get those first appointments. You go out there, you can't, right? For Nick, for the for the experienced sales guy, that lever moves that rock. But for everybody else, for the other 90%, they pull on that lever and it doesn't move. So that's right. an example. Let's stay with this. That's an example of a highly predictive lever. Right. But it ain't very influenceable. Then we go the other way and we say cold calls. Anybody can do cold calls. So we get a really long lever and anybody can pull that lever. But if you've ever done cold calling, you know it doesn't always move the rock. Right. And you're bending the lever. That's highly influenceable, but it ain't predictive. Mm. And so you start to play with these two ideas. To your point, people that have been at the game tend to know where the sweet spot is. So maybe, maybe the lag, maybe the wildly important goal is first appointments and the lead measure is asking for referrals. 
Mm. Oh, that I buy. Right. right. So the rock's not as big. It's not as big as right. New, first appointments is not as big as new accounts, but it's a start. I'll take that. And I'm going to work, I'm going to work, you know, referrals off of existing clients because that's something I can do and that will move the rock. So really dialing in because when you first say predictive and influenceable, everybody thinks, oh yeah, that's easy. That's easy. I know. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so first appointments, new accounts, no, 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 no. It's more often than not, it's a little bit of of a challenge. And yeah, I, I like what you said, getting with people that have been in the game can really help you find a good winnable game. Right. Because what it comes down to is that sales team or that person that you were saying is not as seasoned of a salesperson, just needs more experience or more skill or more capability to actually be able to move that lever uh, over time. So, you know, like you said, that rock moves. Um, and they might, and they might get there, but that may not be the goal for them. My, my wife had a personal trainer for a while and just about put her off exercise for good. This woman destroyed <laughs> my wife. And it's like, she, she was applying levers that were just not in the realm, right? Those were, there were, she, it was disconnected, right? So yeah, for somebody training for an event, it was perfect. But it, it, it got my wife off exercise for three years, you know, because it, it was such a traumatic, bad experience. Right. So I want to, I kind of want to reverse it going back to discipline one, uh, focus on the wildly important and uh, talk about setting the proper wig or the wildly important goal as you've already uh, defined here. Um, how do you know everybody has so many goals, so many things that they want to get done and so many things they want to accomplish? What are the right questions that we need to be asking ourselves or within our teams, or within our companies? about how we can actually narrow that focus down to that particular wig that we've, that we've now brought up. So two ideas on this. The first is there are lots of important, really, really important things in your life that should not be goals, right? This is, this is a foreign idea to a lot of people. Maybe 80, 90% of what I do every day has to be done. And, and, but that doesn't mean it's, a, it's an achievement goal, right? It could be absolutely mission critical. It, it's a necessity. It absolutely has to get done. It's more of a sustainability. But it's more about sustainability. And so separating all the things in your life that have to be sustained from the one thing, this is what we found, human beings seem to be able to attack one meaningful achievement goal at a time in addition to 80 to 90% of this have to sustain. This is why we call it disciplines, Nick, because nobody wants to do this. It's a little bit like, look, we can give you a formula for achieving anything you want to achieve. The problem is we can't, we don't have a formula for everything. Right. And so the very first construct, there's two constructs. The first is I got to put everything in my life and I want to make improvements all over. I get it. Don't go there. It's, it's going to take up 80% just sustaining your, getting the food on the table for the kids, getting the groceries bought, doing the laundry. You got to do that stuff or things unravel. And you got to be okay that says, look, 80% of my life I'm playing defense. And when I go on offense, have a singular focus and say, look, for the next three months, right, it's all about this, mm -hmm. right? And then in terms of that thing, it cannot stay a concept. 
the way the way you get it out of a concept into a target. Like this is the like if you don't if you don't remember anything else from this call, people are very bad at executing on concepts. Very good at a, a concept was leading the world in space exploration. A target was man on the moon by the end of the decade. We stunk when we were running the concept. We changed the world when we we moved to a target. So what's my here it is? What's my starting line? What's my finish line? And by when? And and sometimes really have to wrestle. Like being a better parent is the most important thing. Having a relationship with my child, I can't, that's I can't measure that. Yes, you can. Right between now and October, um, I'm going to spend, you know, four hundred hours with Sarah one on one. Right. Right. That like you can you can put this stuff into metrics, and. And, 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 and you could, anyways, it, 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 if you want to actually, if you're serious, you put right. it into a, into a target. So that's the two separate it, separate the one thing from all the stuff you got to sustain. That's the first idea. And then once you've got that one thing, make sure it's, it's a target, not a concept. And that means starting line, finish line, deadline. All right. So for your, and you and your own personal life, has there been a time, um, it could be, you know, back when you first kind of developed this idea or even more recently that you've had to do that with your own personal life, not necessarily a team or. A yeah. All that. And it's what's funny is I, I'm an idiot. So it's like, there's, <laughs> there's a couple of authors on this book, right? We all got a job to do. Some of them are really like Jim Hewling is the embodiment of discipline and execution. And I'm like the loser poster child who does everything <laughs> wrong. And that's like my job. I, I'm the kid with the, t the Dallas morning news published an article called Ritalin kid helps organizations focus, right? Because I was a hyper, I was on Ritalin as a, as a kid. I was so hyper, right? Which is a terrible tendency if you want to execute. But here's, here's what happens. I always do it wrong first. And then I remember, oh no, you know that stuff you teach, Chris? Right now, uh, I'm, I'm into water skiing. And uh, if, if you know anything about slalom water skiing, they keep increasing the speed of the boat and you got to get around these falls at an insane speed. So this year, I, I can do it. Like, 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 like last year, I may not have been able to pull one out of my hat, but I got one for you right now. Okay. So my lag measure is six balls. That's a complete run at 33 miles an hour by the end of the season. <laughs> last year, last year I got five balls at 32. So I got to get, I got to get through at 32 and then I got to go. And it doesn't sound like much, but you, you, your whole form has to change to do that. That's my lag. Now here are my two leads. Yeah. Hey, I've got a cardiovascular goal. And, and for a certain amount of time on an elliptical machine, I have to do that four times a week and I have to be on the water twice a week. Every, and the bet is if I can get my cardio to where I'm, I'm hitting that cardio objective four times a week, right? It's, it's, it's two and a half miles for, in 20 minutes, four times a week. And I'm on the water. I'm skiing. I was on the water this morning and I'm skiing twice a week. I can get that objective. Right. So yeah, to put to, to tell you exactly. Now, now, why did I do that? No one made me do that. I don't have to give that to anyone. Why did I do that? Because I really want to ski six balls at thirty-three miles an hour. <laughs> right. It looks really cool. It. Yeah. No, no, I love it. No, no one but me in this entire world seems to care about it. But I just love it. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. I think uh, it's all you never. It's a unique. Whatever your lag measure is going to be is going to be unique to yeah, whoever to you, you man. are. Right. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well. I want to get into this. I want to. I kind of want to stay here in terms of the the scoreboard and the lead measures because I know that you know it might sound easy to 
this concept of um, predictability and influ- and influenceable. Yeah. And then, but you know, if somebody does a lot of work and finally figuring out what their lead measures are, and then they start acting on their lead measures, and then they don't see the lag actually moving because of the Let's lead measure. There. What? Uh, how do we figure out if it's a problem with? the actual lead measures or how you're actually assessing or implementing the lead measures. So in a business setting, this is the first thing we have to teach executives. Once the game is set up, if the lever isn't moving the rock. Okay. And, and you, if you want to, if you're watching this podcast, you might want to record this a couple of times because I'm going to go fast, but I'm going to give you four things that go wrong. Okay. So again, what Nick is describing, the lead looks like it's moving. The lag's not moving. So, so I'm doing the exercise. I'm running, but the weight's not dropping. Or I'm on the water and I've got my cardio up, but I'm not getting new ball. I'm like, it doesn't look like, I thought it was a winnable game, but it doesn't, it's not looking like a winnable game. This is a crucial moment. Okay, four things. First thing, the lead measure is right conceptually, but you haven't dialed in a lethal dosage. So you got the right idea, you just don't have enough of it. So maybe you had a lead measure around exercise and diet, but you're only cutting 50 calories a day and you're only burning 35. You're like, I'm doing it, mm. but it's not a lethal dosage. So it, the, the rules of physics are a bear. You have to move a lever a long way to move a rock a little way. That's the bad news. The good news is the rock moves. If you've ever been on a treadmill, you know what I'm talking about. Like you've had the worst 30 minutes of your life and you burned off a freaking Snickers bar. <laughs> You're like, who the, sorry, who that came up with these rules, right? Sorry. Right. It's the universe, right? I didn't make up the rules. So first thing, did I have a lethal dosage? <laughs> Before you came to a different strategy. Number one. Number two, did we really move the lead measure? Or did we consciously or subconsciously or accidentally cheat a little bit on the metric? So is the data accurate? Yeah. Did I really do, did we really get the behavior that we think we're tracking? That's number two. Number three, cause and effect are sometimes separated by time. Certain things you have to do for a while, and I'll bet in exercise physiology, Nick, I bet you see this. There's a period of time where there are no results, and the metabolism is changing, and the body's going through some weird, and per, someone's actually gaining weight when they should be losing weight. And, and what it is, is it's a lag in cause and effect. So that number three is that, right, cause and effect are not closely related in time or space, okay? Yeah. You got to wait. Okay, so lethal dosage, measuring it wrong. Time and space, and number four, you got a bad bet. It's not a good bet. Like you thought that would get you that. And what you're really doing is you're- So it's just a bad idea all in general. It's a bad idea altogether. All of your aerobic is, all of your exercise is anaerobic exercise, and that's not giving, you need to change that lead measure, right? You're, you're, okay, you're eating way too many carbs. Yeah, you cut, you cut this, but, but something's off in your bet. Mm-hmm. You notice what number that was? Four. That was the fourth thing you look at. Because usually what we've learned is that people's initial, they're, they initially kind of know what to do. Yep. The other ones that get, that get them first. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's, that's my whole thing. Because I think with, 
with health and wellness and, and fitness and nutrition, it's like, you know what to do for the most part. You're just not doing it because like, probably because mostly the third one, the cause and effect thing. It's yeah. like, and, and I, actually, I want you to go here because I think what you were kind of almost getting into was this idea of confirmation bias that what you're like thinking, like convincing yourself that it's not working because of a particular reason. Dude, so go that's into my that new a little thing. Bit. Like, I'm on this. I'm on this idea. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Nick brought up a topic. This idea of confirmation bias is a killer when it comes to personal achievement. It's the death of it. And, 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 and the term confirmation bias, if you're not familiar, it just means that your brain is wired to see what it believes. So it's why if, no matter what your political inclination is, people from another political side look kind of stupid to you right like i don't care i don't know if you're liberal or conservative but whichever side you are the other side looks like they're out of their mind because all the evidence you see every day you interpret through a filter Stephen Covey used to say we don't see the world as it is we see the world as we are all right so without getting too heavy let me show you how this shows up it applies to our own behaviors and our own goals so when we go to do something, we are very good at remembering when we do it. And our brain likes to forget when we don't do it or when we cheat or when we, and the way I prove this is I tell a group of people, I'll, I may be in front of a group of a thousand people and I'll, and I'll make them raise their hand if they know anybody that's lost 40 pounds deliberately. And almost every room, every hand goes, somebody in their circle of friends knows somebody that's lost 40 pounds, All right? Now here's the clincher, raise your hand if the person you know that lost 40 pounds was counting, they were counting and tracking, all the hands go up. Right. Then I'll say, raise your hand if you know somebody who deliberately lost that weight and wasn't counting, not a hand will go up. I'll say, okay, just look around you. What just happened? People diet and exercise all the time without tracking. <laughs> they just don't lose 40 pounds. Mm -hmm. Why? You step on the scale at the end of the week and you think the scale lost it. I, I know <laughs> I did not eat. Damn it. I didn't eat dessert one time this week. And, and I worked out twice, maybe three times, you know, this metabolism stuff, it doesn't work for me. And, or these scales, I think the scales might be wrong. And, and it's the, it's the ugly mirror. So we've applied this to nursing behavior in hospitals. by patient satisfaction. They're all convinced they do it. And then they start tracking and they go like, we know it. But no one is doing it the same thing. We only one out of five times we left the room did we ask the patient if there was anything they needed. Mm. We thought we did it every time. But what happened? The brain will flew. That's why you don't know anybody who deliberately lost 40 pounds that wasn't tracking. Because your own confirmation bias will undo you. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, like stirring in my seat right now because of this idea that I have kind of had in my head until and it just like the way you said it just kind of confirmed it in a roundabout area. So basically, I completely agree. You know, I, people, there's like studies where people are observed from an outside source of like what they eat in terms of like sweets and all this kind of stuff or just like what kind of foods they eat. And then like a couple of weeks down the road when they're asked, how many times did you have dessert or how many times did you yeah, eat vegetables? They good. always remember right, you when they send had the me vegetables. That. I want that. I want that stuff. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I, I knew somebody had to have done data on it. We see it so much. But so, so finish the story. What was the correlation between right, accurate well, the and perception? The, the correlation is, yeah, it was 100% accurate. It's like 
people observing from the outside source, like the people who were being tracked didn't know they were being tracked. They were just being observed from, observed from an outside source and they realized that the number of times they had dessert or whatever was X, X number of times higher than whatever they were recording or saying uh, verbally to the people. And who they're not lying. This is what right. you have to understand. You're, you think you're being honest with yourself. You might even bet your life on it. Your brain is fooling you. And that's a hard thing for people. That's a hard thing for people to get their head around that no, what you remember isn't even accurate. That's yeah. tough. Hey, you know, I got to show you this. I, uh, I'm a newcomer to my, uh, to my Apple watch. Have okay. you seen the little school? You know what this is, right? I'm, I'm not, I actually don't even have an Apple watch myself. Okay. So, so, I mean, there's a bunch of these on the market, right? Right. So it's telling me right now, it's telling me the green circle is exercise. So I hit the, I hit the lake this morning. So I got the green circle. The red one is activity and the blue one is like, how much am I standing or sitting too much? And then this sucker, without me even setting it up or doing it, it's tracking me every day. This is like involuntary scoreboarding going on on my phone. I found this and I thought, they, they really knew. Somebody knew what they were doing. Seriously. Because it's, and, and I would have said over the last eight days, I would have said I was perfect. And I, you look at that, I am not perfect on this right. thing. I thought I was like, like my travel's way down. I'm really focused on this stuff. I'm, I'm not there. It's the ugly, it's right. the ugly mirror. And so, so this other idea that popped into my head that I've like thought so much about that you just kind of brought back to my attention is that I think, you know, and a lot of times I think about why people don't set more aims, set more goals and, and set more intentions. I kind of use those three interchangeably, setting an aim, intention or a goal. But one of the things that it helps you so much with is that because when you set an aim, you see the progress and it defines what success actually looks like. And it also def defines what failure looks like. And I think a lot of people not knowing why they're not setting an aim are not setting an aim because it will actually reveal to them that they're failing at it. So for example, if somebody wants to lose weight and they need, they know they need to track everything, but then they start showing themselves that I have dessert like six times a week, it'll reveal to them how much they're failing. And they're like, I don't know if I actually want to do that. So I think that one of the things that holds people back is because failure gets thrown into their face when a goal is set. And some people don't want to be able to see that and made that made themselves aware of it. It's a really, um, it's a really interesting observation. And one I have not thought enough about, which is what are the, what are the resistors that are going on? And maybe Nick, maybe it's not conscious. Maybe it's sort of right below the water level, right? Maybe it's this subliminal resistance because we know once we're accountable, we have to live with that burden. It's like mm -hmm. life, life with a goal is, is not as comfortable. Yeah. Well, I, and I've, I've written about this because, and I was like, so why don't people do it? Because it, they see what, they both define what success looks like and what failures, failure looks like. And both kind of like go into the same result into terms of why people aren't setting a goal is because when they see what success looks like, they're like, holy crap, I got to do all that to be able to get to that success. When they see what failure looks like, then they're like, man, I have to change those behaviors in order to get to that goal. And some people aren't. And then the third step is that it's not easy because of those two things that are made aware to you. It's just not easy to actually get to that. So some people are better off just being like, uh, yeah, whatever. So let's stay on this for a second. Um, I, one of the things we started to see 
And there's a book by this title called The Power of Small Wins. Anyone is capable of running a marathon, more or less. But almost, you know, only 1% of the population can walk out their door and run 26 miles, or maybe a percent of a percent, right? So, you know, five miles of running might be out of the question for me, but four I can get to. And so one of the ways that I think we've gotten at the issue that you have is really making it okay to pick small wins. I I tell people with teenagers, um, this is another area where people really struggle. If if you have teenagers, I ask people, I say, do you have teenagers? They say, do you have drama? And they just laugh. That's the easiest laugh I get is asking if they have drama after I ask them if they have teenagers. And it's never going to go away. Like they will, every two weeks, they will invent a new soap opera drama that will really... It's, and it's never going to go away. And this is the question. Is there some place in that kid's life where that kid is winning? And it can be a little tiny thing, but there has to be something in that life where there's a little bit of a belief and there's a little bit of progress. And it's something, something that matters to them. And, and all the drama is like a smokescreen. It ain't going away. And you got to deal with it. You got to address it. And sometimes it's serious, right? It can drive you nuts. But go to work on go to work on a winnable game in the kid's life, and you can watch so many other things change once that thing starts to. But it's like a muscle, right? I mean, the, the human body is such a beautiful metaphor for everything. So the person the person that is visualizing failure, if you can if you can get them to scale down. Um, and, and help them know that even a small win is super meaningful. Yeah, no, I think that's really important because I think because you need to fuel your own belief in order to kind of continue to take more action. I don't know if you've ever seen Tony Robbins kind of draw this this square, this this cycle in terms of taking action and getting results is it starts with the you have to believe the potential of a particular thing happening in order for yourself to take action. And then if you take action, you see results, which fuels your belief, which, in, which increases the potential of that thing happening. Absolutely. He's looking at the, he's looking at the very same thing. We, we will tell people, we'll tell executives that when they start this process, there will not be a jump in engagement. Mm. It's the first time the lead measure moves the lag measure. That's all the executives talk about. Like they get, they're getting the results. They don't even talk about the results. They talk about, I can't believe the level of engagement we have from people. We didn't think cared about this business at all. And human beings, I'll give you another one, Nick. Um, if you read um, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. I, right? I love that you've read that. Good for you. Um, this is a, this a hard, this will ruin your weekend. You can read it. You can read it in a couple of days, but it will yeah. re- read it when everybody's out of town on a rainy weekend because it's going <laughs> to ruin your weekend. But, it, but everybody needs to read it. And the thing that got me was he's going into this concentration camp. This is a, a brilliant psychiatrist who got thrown into a Nazi concentration camp. And he's going to lose everything. He's going to lose his parents. He's going to lose his wife. And he may, he may have to endure torture and death, very, very likely. But here's what's eating him alive. His life's not going to matter. That's why the book's called Man's Search for Meaning. He starts to realize. Um, and, then, and it's interesting. The first couple of weeks, he starts to realize that everybody around him, every prisoner around him 
has gone almost comatose. Like they've lost their humanity. They're starting to behave like sheep mm-hmm. with mean dogs. They just, they just move. They started to take on herd behavior and that this was not happening to him. And he realized that he was still trying to recreate a paper. He had not, he had not subjected himself to futility. And when you read Frankel, you realize, you know, go back to the teenager. How important is it for that kid to have something that they're winning at? Even a little, even a little success somewhere um, has a profound effect on people's, on everything else. And yet we're not wired that. Like, that's not what people think about. Right. When you ask them, like, what do you want in a job? Well, I want good pay. I want a best friend at work. I want good benefits package. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And so the kid or the teenager will do the same thing. Yeah. I, I want friends. I want to be popular. I want a new car. I want, I want the new iPhone. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. But in the end, that stuff, there's somewhere where that person is winning. And in your own life, um, if, if, if you're struggling, like carve out something just test this theory. Just start winning on something. Mm-hmm. And it can be small and see if like it doesn't change your whole body chemistry. Yeah, no, I love that. And I, I, I kind of want you to stay on that topic in the sense that what you guys have found through working with so many teams and organizations is that results come first and then engagement comes because every book, because so many different companies and organizations are yeah. kind of trying to do it the yes, opposite yeah. way around. Yeah, so so when we started, I'm, I'm with this team at Franklin Covey that's on business results. Like we're the, we're the serious, right? Pointy end of the stick, right? Yeah, and then right. there's all this other stuff at Franklin Covey, which is like inspiring and life-changing and, you know, all this great human stuff. And we were the results stuff, okay? And so we weren't, it's not like we didn't love this stuff. That's why we joined the company, but that wasn't our task. We were on the results side. And then we started to see these big pops in engagement. But the engagement was happening after the results, which is a little bit counter to the way I think we think about leadership. I think we think about leadership like if I can just get these people together, if I can just get them happy, and if, I can just, if, I, if, if we can just get along, then we'll produce these great results. And of course, there's truth in that. It's just that in reality, that's not the sequence that normally happens. Mm-hmm the team commits to something it starts to achieve it and then you see the relationships then you see the momentum then you see but it seems to be it seems to be maybe not winning or having won but it's the progress it's the traction that you're getting yeah. that changes morale and engagement and so we started to realize that this this thing we were doing that we thought was just focused on business results had a bigger impact on morale and engagement than anything else we were doing and then we found the research to back it up. And in the 60s, a guy by the name of Frederick Hertzberg said, oh, look, there's 20 reasons people will quit you. But engagement is not the opposite of turnover. Mm. Don't address the 20 reasons people quit you if you want to drive. You got to address that stuff because you don't want them to quit. But that's not where your engagement's going to come from. Right. It's going to come from, is that person winning at something meaningful? Mm. But they don't look for it. We're not, we're not, as human beings, we're not always smart enough to go there when we feel broken or disengaged. 
Right. No, I think that's that's awesome. And I think it's a huge thing for you guys to be able to find and communicate. So I think, you know, I didn't relate this to the Tony Robbins thing until you just said it. But you I did a perfect like job. That's it, man. Result. It just fuels their belief. Right. Because and then because they believe so much, then they're engaged. So what I want to what I want to start with it or what I want to ask then is how can you as much as possible make people believe in the beginning? Like, how do you enroll them in your vision that as a leader, that this is going to be something that's good for your company, especially if the company's already, you know, pretty, because you've worked with really good companies who've already, you know, are really successful in the grand scheme of things. So how do you enroll them in the vision to make them believe as much as possible initially on before the results come that this is going to work for them? It's so funny. So ironically, the short answer is you can't, <laughs> um, I, but watch what happens, but we still get there. Okay. So there's sort of a bell curve spectrum of early adopters and late adopters. And what we tell the leaders is you're going to have to carry the water until this thing gets traction. And we, we tell the leaders, it's not how you sell it up front. All the rah-rah, the t-shirts, the posters, they'll smile, they'll laugh, they'll forget about it that afternoon. It's gone. Right? And leaders always think, if I could just be more inspiring, man, if I could just, if I could just sell this thing. If they could just see how passionate I am and we're telling them it doesn't matter and it doesn't matter how you, it doesn't matter about the flowery language and the goal. And it doesn't matter about the fact that somehow your business result is going to change the world. And, 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 and it's like, it's like heresy when you say this stuff. And the point is this, it doesn't matter how you launch the game, but it does matter how you play the game. Mm. So when you're on a That's team, powerful. we say, look, you got about 12 weekly revolutions you got to turn and you got to have the muscle to do it. Until, it's like priming a pump. You got to pump for a long time. You may have to pour water down it. You're going the other direction, right? Until the water starts to come back up. But the, here's the other side of winnable game, high stakes game. So in a team dynamic, the leader has to send the message that this little thing we carved out really matters. Even if there's just a lot of stuff going on in a day job that's driving us crazy. We are, when they start to realize boss really serious about this, it's a high stakes game. Like people love the playoffs. They hate preseason. It's a high stakes game. Then all of a sudden the leads start to move and it's them that are moving the leads. This isn't the boss's game. This is their game. We picked that. Hey, and that thing we picked is moving that thing. And we didn't ever think you could move that thing because we were blaming it on four other departments. But but of a gun, we're moving that thing. And this is cool. And I'm now part of a winning team. And all of a sudden, all the late adopters start to come on board. So it, it, it happens in a swing. Now, the, the challenge, and I can hear it as I'm saying this to you, Nick, is that you're able to do that in a setting where you're able to sort of pull people along. And when it comes to individual goals and individual achievements, um, that's, a trickier, that's a trickier question. Right. They don't have to, like the, the organizations we work with, they have to play along. If they want to keep their jobs, they, 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 you know, they get to find a game, but they don't get to choose not to play a game. Right. So it's almost like because I'm in the job, it, it's got to be high stakes, whether I necessarily believe it or not. Right. And I support it, but they get, they sort of, over the, over the first few weeks, they sort of get sucked up in it. Mm -hmm. And people that were resistors actually will become promoters if it's done right. And we've gotten really good at doing this. But I always think about it on an individual. I have seven children. 
right? And, and yeah, the joke is that. we could have we could have passed the Breakfast Club. Like, have you ever seen that movie? Like, I got the doc, I got the cheerleader, the hippie, the, the rebel. I got them all, right? It's like, and they all look different too, right? I got the full <laughs> cast. And so, you know, you're always looking at these and, and, and you, and sometimes they engage when they want to. So it's an interesting, interesting dynamic, but high stakes winnable game, it's a pretty good place to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, you know, you talk a lot, you work with a lot of teams and organizations and, and, and companies, but as we've talked about today, it's very implementable into your own personal life. Very, so do you feel yeah. like, do, do you feel like that's maybe the hardest challenge? So like, I know right now I've, I've started the process. I've just finished the book and I'm getting into yeah, this and everything you. I started the process and working through it. So I want to know what you learn with your clients, Nick. Yeah. Like, I want more. We have these anecdotal personal stories, but we never do research on the personal ones. But yeah. I would love any data that you've got as you, as you watch. Cause if you look at exercise programs, if you look at weight watchers, the best weight loss program, um, orange theory that's out there, boy, the four disciplines are very visible in a lot of programs. So, but, but I don't think, I think by accident, I don't know that people have deliberately done it. So if you start going down that road, I, I would love to know what you find. Oh, I definitely will. Believe me, this is good. This has been like a huge game changer for me. And, but what I, what I was actually getting at is that I'm going to go through the process myself in terms of like defining my own wig and, and you know, going step by step from there. So from your own experience, going it through with yourself, what are maybe the challenges that I'm going to go through in trying to do this for myself. Cause I, you know, when other people are going to listen to this, they're going to get the book, they're going to read it. They're going to want to go through it themselves too. What are the biggest challenges that they're going to go through and how can they work through that? All right. So remember, these are not the four good ideas of execution, <laughs> right? They are the four disciplines of execution. And I wish I had coined this phrase, but the, another speaker named Jim Rohn said that the, uh, the pain of regret is worse than the pain of discipline. Yep. But there is it. pain involved in this. Okay, now, biggest problem, self-accountability is kind of a joke. Mm. All right, the whole word accountability means you are accountable to someone else. We have this way of cutting ourselves slack that is really unhealthy. We'll do it later. We'll do it tomorrow. There were extenuating circumstances. That whole confirmation bias thing, if you want to get at that, and that's the goal killer. You've got to have accountability and a high stakes game. And that means you've got to have a partner, Nick. Mm -hmm. So you got to find somebody who wants a goal in their life as bad as you want a goal in your life. And you got to lock arms and you got, why is Weight Watchers so much more effective than so many other things? The things hinged on accountability, right? Like, like all the best targeting in the world doesn't do you any good if there isn't some and I mean, like we, we have these meetings where we'll have somebody go, I was not going to go to that meeting without that done. It was, I made the commitment. They'll stay up till two in the morning, but they don't want to let a peer down. And it's, and it's, believe it or not, it's more effective in a peer relationship than in a boss relationship. But if you have somebody that's taken time out of their day to report to you and you report to them, you will not want to say that you didn't get it done. Right. And, and that's so much smaller than the benefit of actually doing the activity. I don't know why this works. It doesn't make any sense, except it does. So, so there's a big one. Um, so rule number one, have an accountability partner. Okay. Rule number two, 
don't cheat and have multiple goals, Nick. I know you're going to want to. I, I, I don't even have to ask you. You've already cheated. <laughs> you got three right now and you're, you're debating on a fourth. Stop it. <laughs> one, man. Learn the process on one and really learn the process. Okay? And don't go super high level. Go something tactical, winnable. Don't go a full year out. Sometimes businesses have to, but we like to, I like to go shorter time frames. Go shorter time frame, go specific, run the discipline with an accountability partner. Okay. And, and the accountability, you know, like we, we'd mentioned earlier, it's really important that you communicate with the accountability partner, basically everything, right? The, the, the yep, phrase the you bet. like to use is X to Y by when, right? You ha- they have to know what that is for you so that you actually work on right. you know, moving the lead measures. Yeah, and why did you choose the lead measure? And how are you actually tracking them? And when does it count and when does it not count? And like in football, a first down is a lead measure. Down and distance is the lead measure to points, which are the lag measure. It's a perfect analogy. And it ain't somewhere between nine and 11 yards. It's 10 yards for mm-hmm. your punting, right? Yeah. And so that level of rigidity in the game, any game you play, the rules are not fuzzy. I, I use the game, the word game very deliberately. You want to see ridiculous amounts of engagement. Get somebody into game mentality. That's where we think the game's trivialized. They don't. They breed engagement. Mm-hmm. No, no, I agree. And I, So I want to mention one thing in terms of what I found helps me hold myself more personally, personally accountable. Because, right, because we can't accountability partner is huge, especially for that most important goal. But we can't have an accountability partner for every single thing that we we do in our day or anything like that. But what I found for me, and this is kind of stupid, but like on my whiteboard, next to everything I'm supposed to do, I have like an open box that I need to check off. And like, if there's an open box left at the end of the day, I'm just like stirring. I'm like, come on, I got to get it done. But then to kind of backtrack is I always write the things down that I need to do the night before. Because I think that when we write things down in a certain amount of time before we need to do them, we have a little bit more clear sight in terms of the right we're prioritizing more properly if we do it ahead of time. Because when we get closer and closer to whatever that thing is, we give ourselves more and more reasons why maybe that's not the right priority. Because of maybe it could be super tough to follow through with. I was just talking to someone. It's so interesting you're saying that, Nick. I was just talking to someone the other day. And they were telling me their ability to keep a promise to themselves goes up dramatically if they will actually go through the process to write it down. And it's really interesting. Now I'm hearing this, I'm hearing this twice inside the same week. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that in my own life uh, the night before. I like that. It's a really good idea. I'm gonna spell out exactly. Um, there's a book you might like called The Checklist Manifesto. Okay. They, they, they talk about, it has to do with the way, the way the brain's wired and all of the things in life that work because of sort of a, that, that checklist mentality. Okay, gotcha. I love it. Yeah, I, I think, and then honestly, the, the other thing in terms of simplicity, what I realized simplicity-wise is if I almost need to have the, I don't have it every single one, but I almost need to have the X to Y by when. I need uh, for like each each thing that I write down. If I don't know- Yeah, like, all right. If I don't have, if each of these things, I don't know exactly when I started them and I don't know exactly when I finished them, then it gives me 
that leeway of like, maybe I did enough. So for example, sometimes I just put a time, like 10 minutes of this particular thing. And if it's not a time, then it needs to just be like, there is an ending. I know I'm done with it. And then I can check it off. If I don't know when I'm done, then it's like, okay, I did enough. Dude, I don't, I don't know what you're going to choose to do in life, but I, I bet money on you. If you ever, hey, if you ever start a company where you call me as a potential, I may not have a lot of money, but I will invest in you, man. Let, 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 let me just stay on Let me just stay on what Nick said for just a second. We talked about lag measures. We talked about lead measures. We talked about scoreboarding. And we talked about accountability weekly. The one thing we haven't mentioned today is that in that weekly accountability, and this is maybe the most important thing of the whole thing, there is weekly commitments that are made that are not the same as the lead measure. So my lead measure may be to run a certain number of miles. It may be to eat a certain number of calories, but the commitments are the things I do every week to ensure I do the lead measures. So I'm going to get the gym membership because it's going to be so hot this week. I know I'm not going to run in that heat and I'm going to get the new, the new shoes and I'm going to go, I'm going to go sign up for that nutrition program and I'm going to, what can I do? And, and you'll be surprised every week. You'll think of stuff. That will, I'm going to get a running partner for Thursday. I'm going to, like, there'll be stuff you can do that will hedge your bet. Now, what Nick just said that was super important is that stuff needs to be as specific as, even though it's a task, the more specific the task is. We have exercises where we have executives write out a specific commitment versus a general commitment. So they'll start like, I'm going to work on training this week. I'm going to train Martha and Nick on front desk procedures for 30 minutes by Friday morning at noon. Boom. Like the difference between work on training and the second thing I said, which I don't think I can repeat, <laughs> is quantum. And we can tell you, we can go, we have like, we, this all tracks in a software system. We can tell you by looking at the commitments, whether or not an organization is going to execute or not. Hmm. So great, Nick. Your, your, your instincts are, I mean, I, I'm pulling this from, your instincts are spot on. I, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, 17 years of, of examples and pain around it. But yeah, you're getting to the point. Yeah, the commitments thing was, was big for me too. And that's kind of where, the commitments is where you hold yourself accountable too, right? Right. That's, because, that's, right. And, and that's right. That's the thing you've got to, right? Because up until the commitment, everything else is just talk. The commitment's where something actually happens. Have you found that with, Teams, like once they, I, I just think that it's so important that when you follow through, like this all goes through the phrase that I started off with, and you've mentioned a couple of times now, following through with the promises that you make to yourself. It's that once you kind of get in that rhythm, you build this, you kind of build a, a reputation with yourself yeah. and the people with that you're making the commitments with that you're going to keep doing it. So I'm trying to derive a, the, the question that I want out of this is that, when is it kind of like almost a snowball effect with with certain with certain teams that like maybe early on because they haven't bought in completely so I'm not following through with the commitments and then all of a sudden like they gain more gain more steam and then all of a sudden everybody's following through with the commitments and then it just starts rolling like is have you found that I got to tell you all you got to do is watch a kid in high school one of my daughters and it's, it's not uncommon for our family, right? We tend to do better in college than high school. And, and it's the whole extended family. It's, we're, we're really late to the game usually. And 
Incentives, rewards, none of it matters. Penalties, punishments, none of it matters. We had some intense accountability last fall with two of my daughters that every week they had to report what their, they had to write down their current averages and their uh, grade averages and then their homework assignments, what they call in Georgia formative scores. Or they didn't get their phones. So if Sunday night, those scores are not recorded, I get the phones. Okay. Okay. Parents have leverage on kids today like, or like never, never existed before. <laughs> it's so easy. Yeah. So Sarah uh, started really strong. This is her sophomore year of high school. Started to get, started to get A's and B's for the first time. And would not let that go. Once she had, it's a snowball effect. Once she had that momentum, she would kill herself not to get behind. She didn't want to give up the win. Wow. And so this is part of what we see. Once a team gets out ahead, once they feel like they're achieving, see, otherwise, if you haven't achieved yet, you can always put it off. You can put it off. You can put it off. Once there is something that's been gained, boy, I, I see people really hate to give that up. Um, you know, they in weight loss, you know, they do give it up. Yeah. And you know, you do see people go backwards. But I've seen, I tell you, in, in our world, we've seen a lot of examples where there's good visibility and they, and they're, and they know what to do. Um, they, they don't want to give up the past wins. I know it's a long explanation around that, but I, I, what you were saying, I definitely know is part of it. I saw that in my own life. I was a horrible student until the first time that I got good grades and then I'd kill myself not to go back. So I, I know tangibly what that feels like. Right, but but like you said, it does happen with weight loss, and I think it happens probably with with more things too, because people get like complacent with the work that they've already put in, and get a little bit lazy with maybe some of like the particular action steps that you know it takes in the in the four disciplines or that people have taken up to that point that they've seen their success and distracted. I'll tell you that is a huge one. It's a little word. We all think we can just muscle through it. This ur- the le- the one thing we haven't talked about is how the human being responds to urgency. Yep, I wanted to get it there, the urgency versus uh, importance. Right, and if you, when you, the, the power of the four disciplines is that it makes something that will never be urgent. I can always do it tomorrow. My diet starts tomorrow. We're gonna, later, yes. I can't wait, but next week. Because <laughs> I got all this stuff right now, and once I get that out of the way, I, of course, I'll be able to do it. It makes it right. It makes it as urgent as the as all the distractions, and that's matter of fact. Maybe that's all we're doing. Maybe all we're doing with the disciplines. Maybe all Weight Watchers does. Maybe all the constructs around four disciplines and Orange Theory. Maybe all that all these do. Maybe all they do is just balance the urgency scale. Because there's still a little caveman living in here. Right, so all the cerebral stuff going on up front always gets nixed as soon as the phone rings or someone comes to the door or oh I forgot I got to do that and then urgency just kills the important thing. Yeah, and I'll bet if you go back and look at people that went backwards on weight loss and went backwards on other things, and you really looked closely, you'd see that in the moment they weren't losing to stupidity, laziness. They were losing to busy. Right. So when you're saying that, you're saying that like the four disciplines and orange theory might 
make make the important things seem urgent and so they do them. That's right. Maybe that's okay. all that's going on. I've thought about this a lot. Yeah. Because I look at this stuff. I look at these disciplines and I go, really? Like <laughs> applying them is hard. Like we've got the best consultants because they sound simple. When you go to apply them, everybody's heads explode. But at the end of the day, when you see, like you're from Georgia, when you see a 60% reduction in child maltreatment, child abuse across the state of Georgia back in, back in 2006, like that, like these really, this is what did it. Like you can't believe the power of this stuff, but I think it comes down to that one idea that, that, ur that urgency is such a poison to execution. That if we compensate for that, if, if, if the important stuff now feels urgent, we actually do it. Okay. Yeah. And so, and so I, I'm familiar with the, um, the distinguishing, the, the, the distinguishment between the two because of, of reading your stuff. But for people who are not yeah. necessarily sure or know exactly what we're talking about, what is the difference between yeah, urgency between and urgent importance? Yeah, between urgent and important. It's funny you say this because I used to talk to my dad about this. And he was, a, he was a contractor whose hair was on fire. Like he was the embodiment of the whirlwind, right? And he could not get the idea that there's a difference. Urgency is anything acting on you right now, regardless of how important it is. Stuff's coming at you. And now with these blasted things, it's coming in with these, right? We're just, we're going to have one around our throat here pretty soon, right? It's just going <laughs> to choke us out every time we, we ignore the text message. Right. Right. So that stuff is just on us. Like, so, so here's how I tell people you're in the middle of the most important project of the year. Your career depends on it. You're under debt. All of a sudden you just answered a phone. Somebody sent you a text. You just watched a video and you're like, am I out of my mind? Why did I just do that? Oh, I got to go get so, so, and, and you, you acted on it because it was coming at you. It was urgent. Mm -hmm. Somebody asked you a question right then. And that stuff wasn't nearly as important. So the important stuff is always at the mercy of the urgent. And we tend not, here's the last point. We tend not to think this is too big a deal because we can do something I call tendency override. Yeah. And we can say, oh yeah, I'm gonna get back on course, right? But what you don't realize is that you're fighting that tendency all the time. And some of us get better at it, but that's really what, Weight Watchers, Orange Theory, Four Disciplines of Execution, right? These things that really work on behavior, they cut through the urgency. Otherwise, and that's why focus is so important, right? Because if yeah. you've got half a dozen things you're trying to do, the, the distractions totally kill you. Yeah. Well, before I go to, I don't know if I didn't, people listening who go to my Orange Theory classes, yeah, I didn't tell you before I coached Orange Theory. Shut up. So that, yeah. You do those? Yeah. yeah. I say, I swear. I didn't know. I was just like searching my brain. Yeah. What's like this? That's hilarious. And Weight Watchers and those, they, they, all the principles of the four disciplines, like we did not invent these principles. The principles have always been there, but they're in that stuff. But I think that, I think that it's really telling and eye-opening to me because I've always... I've been able to point out things that I know Orange Theory does well and why it's exploded and why it's doing so well. But that concept right there of making the important things urgent is huge for me. But so I, I want to stay right there because I think it's so important because I realize the same thing. Sometimes when I like answer a text, I'm like, son of a, like, what was I doing? What was I doing? Am I out of my mind? Right. And so the, one of the biggest strategies, I guess, for me to like help just that smallest thing was to most of the time have my phone on do not disturb. 
so it doesn't just flash up. Yeah, you got to build mechanisms. I'm with you on this. Yeah, well, so I want that's what I want to ask you. Are there particular things that you've done in your life outside of because you can't you can't butt four disciplines to every single thing that you do. So what are the maybe some of the different strategies that you've done in your life and implemented to make the important things seem urgent, if you will. So here's what I find. If you apply the four disciplines as a disciplined approach to one thing, the principles bleed into other stuff naturally. Okay. But if you try and build the whole operating system around multiple things, it implodes under its own weight. It's too much. So the formal methodology applied just to one thing, but you start to develop discipline muscles that pay off, you'll just start thinking about, okay, what's the lead indicator for that? Maybe I don't track it, but I think that way. And all right, instead of just saying, I'm going to work on this, what do I actually want to have done by Wednesday? And mm. so you'll find that behaviorally, that stuff will start bleeding into other aspects of your life and it'll pay dividends. I'll tell you, I, and it's funny, every, I tell people this and nobody is surprised. I, I really want someone to be surprised one day when I tell them I had a raging case of hyperactivity attention deficit disorder. And it's it. Nobody's ever been surprised. Usually gets me a laugh. That's hysterical. But people with H, uh, ADD or ADHD is actually what's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Uh, ADHD or ADD for that matter, they don't write books. They don't write books. Like that's, that might be one of the ways you know you have it is if you've never written a book. <laughs> I, I start, we, we published in 2012. I started in, 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 in 07, um, threw away the first hundred pages, started over again, went, you know, Jim Hewling was like the third writer right. that I worked with, right? He took the um, ADHD out. What's that? I said he, he, he was the one who took out the ADD in you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the, he was the, he was the solvent. He was the neutralizer. Uh, the reason I say this is I had to have mechanisms. So I would lock myself, I, I would drive to my sister's house. I would leave my house, drive to my sister's house. She had a room in the basement, which was like an, an attention deficit chamber. Yeah. And I would lock myself in there and sometimes two hours just meant one paragraph. Wow. And, but a paragraph got written. Yeah. And I, I had an assistant that was like, she would block a day a week and she wouldn't let anything get on that calendar. And it's like, know your enemy, right? We've seen the enemy and it is us. Like, if, if you know that, you can compensate for it. You can write a book with attention deficit disorder. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I got more willpower. Like that willpower thing, that burns out in a couple of weeks. Right. You got to build processes. Mm -hmm. You said, you, you know, you started writing the book in 2007, came out in 2012. Obviously, some of that was maybe the ADHD, but some of it was fine is, is probably fine tuning the actual disciplines and the practice and implementing them and stuff like that. So when you started off teaching other people, other teams, other organizations, teaching yourselves about this, what were some of the major aha moments for you that was like, oh, we need to fine tune here. This is the adjustment that we need to make. So what, what were some of those things early on in the process that you realized that, that you needed so, to maybe change? So Sean Covey and Jim Stewart were the original creators of the construct back. There were elements of it in a course we called um, Aligning Goals for Results. The, the, the basic framework of the disciplines was alive in that as far back as 2001. But as an organization, we weren't doing much with it. And I got on board by 03. 
and I put a lot of energy behind this process. And then by 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 eight oh nine, they they I I had taken over this practice. So I wasn't the originator of the methodology, but for me, when I came on board, Jim, he passed away ten years ago. He was the man. Like Jim, Jim had like that extra gift. Oh, he's a mean sucker, but he was good at this. <laughs> and he'd tell me to shut up in front of my own clients, and I would. Like he worked for me, and I was scared to death of him. So ex, it was an old Conoco oil guy, Deming Duran quality TQM guy. And, and Jim really got good at goal definitions. I was like, let's get discipline too. We've been here for six hours. And it's like they didn't have it yet. So we really, really getting good on the art and science of defining the aim, the target. That, I started to respect that. That was a key point. Huh. Finding, I remember where I was with Jim when we defined predictive and influenceable. Mm. And somebody pointed out, Doug Pusey pointed out that what we were describing was leverage. And they gave it a name. A lever is influenceable and it's predictive. And that's what we're defining as leverage, right? That was a big moment. Yeah. Um, the way the wig sessions worked, the notion of a, do they feel like preseason or do they feel like playoffs? It's still football. Football's High football. High stakes. But preseason football and playoff football, that's different. Like, why? Because if you lose in the playoffs, you go home. All right? Nobody cares about preseason because there's no accountability. There was this relationship between engagement and accountability, which people didn't think went together, but they do. So those were just a few of the themes that we started. And then we test stuff. So everything we thought we knew, the next client would adopt, and then they'd come back and tell us, look, not going to be one big win. It's going to be a bunch of little wins. We're like, oh yeah. And and by the way, your four disciplines don't try and apply it to everything. It only works on the stuff that needs human energy. All oh, right. And if you can get it done without that, go do it. Right. You can spend money and get it done. If you can change your process and get it done, do it that way. This this methodology is for the hard stuff. So those are the those are the to me those are the things that jump out when you said that. I like this. I like it. So one thing I want to make sure I. I touch on is you haven't you're working on another book coming out right kind of on the i'll let you go into that it's called leading execution is that what's going to be yeah very good thanks so so what's going to be in that book that's not currently in this book that book is really going to be aimed at leaders of leaders Mm. it's interesting the dynamics change four disciplines was really written for the leader of a team for the leader of a cell but leaders that are good leaders of cells, they don't stay there for long. They become leaders of multiple cells. Right. So you, now you're not over a cell anymore. You're over 12 cells or 140 cells. And those cells might all have different lead and lag measures. Like how do you execute once you get higher up in an organization? And this is really, there's another side of execution. And it's all the stuff that we've had to learn through trial and error around how do you keep all the cells the actions at the cell, right? Yeah. Right. The, how do you keep all those cells healthy and functioning and fire, right? Or cylinders in an engine, right? How do you keep all those cylinders firing if you're the leader? Um, so I don't know if it'll be a long book. Uh, right now, it feels like a lot of content. Yeah. Uh, and we, we're not fast with writing books. We, we bang our heads around and we have lots of examples and I can't even tell you when it's going to come out. Hopefully, yeah, well, hopefully within the year, but I it, can't. It's, it, it seems like it seems like I've, I've 
talked with a with a few people on my show now who have who have written books, a number of people now who have written books, and it seems like I like to ask them like how you go about writing it, and it seems like there's a couple different strategies. Like some people go away and like it is the absolute only thing that they're focused right, on, right. but some people kind of chip away at it as well. So it sounds like you're going more the the chip away process. Here's the here's the thing. This isn't a novel, and it isn't up here. Oh, you're still constantly learning about well, it. Well, and, and yeah, here's what you had. This is what Stephen Covey, who's the founder of our organization. I mean, Covey got one thing and never let go of it. And what he got was the principles are external from you. There are laws. And then this world likes to forget this sometimes. Yeah. We don't get to make up the laws. There are laws in this universe. And, and we think we're in charge. Listen, that, fl- that plane doesn't fly because it wants to fly. It flies because it obeys the principles of lift, thrust, weight, and drag. Otherwise, it crashes, and it doesn't care how many people are on board. Right. Right? I love that. And I gave away all my political views just now. (laughs) (laughs) The principles are, 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 right, eternal truth. Yeah. Right? And focus, leverage, engagement, and accountability. We didn't invent that stuff right? All we're doing is studying the application, right? If you're, if you're an airline designer and you want to understand, like we know today, we know a lot more about lift, thrust, weight, and drag than the Wright brothers did, right? That's all we're doing. So we're applying, all right, lift, thrust, or, or, or focus, leverage, engagement, and accountability now up a level. Yeah. And when, we'll know when we get there kind of thing. So yeah, it's not, I, I you know, Jim and I couldn't, and Sean, we couldn't just give birth to this thing now, even at gunpoint. It's still baking. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I like that you said that. I don't think I've ever thought in the sense that, like, I've, I've kind of known it, but when yeah, you Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know it. it right. right. I, that's why I love Covey. I never thought of it. Covey, Covey got that in our heads. Look, and, and, and that's why he was so adored by other cultures around the world. Because they had all, truth was universal. These weren't cultural. They went, yeah. they went deeper than values. Your values are subjective. The principles are objective. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like the simple things that somebody actually puts terms to. That's like, oh, I've been thinking that all along. The beginning of wisdom is the definition of terms. Boom, boom. So uh, before we got on the show, you, you I appreciate you doing this. Kind of want to be as valuable to all my listeners as possible. And we talked about how becoming the best version of yourself, you know, it's a unique thing and we're all going to be all going to find that in our different ways. So we talked about personal performance and obviously we talked about we've, you've worked with a lot of organizations, a lot of teams, a lot of companies, and you've learned a lot about working together with groups of people. But what have you learned in terms of working with organizations about increasing and maximizing personal performance? All right. I got to left Covey on this one. Because like, I can take a shot at it, but I got to go with the master. All right. Can I, can I do it in a story? Yeah, please. Right, maybe it's good, but maybe it's a good one to end on right here. Yeah. All right. So circa 1991, right? Uh, I am the unpaid intern, not supposed to be there. I'm a stowaway on this ship. Okay. Yeah. They're going to find me out any moment now. One of the things I used to like to do with all my freedom at work is I had no real job responsibilities. Right. Is I used to watch, I used to go up to the mountains, which about 30 minutes from our headquarters in Utah. The mountains are right there. And Robert Redford's resort, Sundance, was up there. 
And Covey once a month would have CEOs from all over the world that would come to what was called principle-centered. Like that's, that was his thing. Principle-centered leadership week. Mm. And he'd, he'd soak them for a week in this notion of figure out best practices are a dime a dozen, figure out the principles. So they've had this week. They're in the mountains. It's beautiful. They've, they've gotten out of their heads a little bit. Last day. He's got them, and he, he has them do this thing called the tomato plant exercise. They're in the picture, a group of executives, maybe about 60 folks in the room, all at tables. And he, he has them, each table, come up with everything they would do to grow a world-class tomato. And these executives think it's a brainstorming creativity exercise. So they're going at it. Greenhouses and agricultural ideas and chemicals, and somebody had read an article on something. And so they're, they're, they're kind of competing with each other to see who can come up with the best list for growing a world-class tomato. And he has them report out. They all tell their, each one of them tells their plan. And then he goes in a different direction with them. And he asks them, can you guarantee, can you guarantee the tomato will grow? All the stuff that you did, can you guarantee it? And they had to admit, no. We cannot guarantee it. And he would ask him, why? Give me the reason why. He said, I knew what you were going to say. I knew you couldn't guarantee it. Why can't you guarantee it? And each table knew the answer. And the answer was, because life is in the seed. All that stuff that you do does not put life in the seed. The life is in the seed. And he would tell them, if you're a leader, your job is not to put life in the seed. Your job as a leader is to create the conditions for success. Mm. Right? But never forget the life is in the seed. That's the farmer's principle. And like for some of these people, this was a life changing, coming out of a mechanical mindset, an ego, my, my results, my organization. No, 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 no. Your job, if you're really interested in leadership, your job is to create the conditions for success, but the life is in the seat. Right, and I, so I'm going to botch this, so pick me up where I fall off here. I don't know if it's his definition for leadership, but he talks about leadership as being able to inspire people so that they see it within themselves, or what, do you know what that, what that phrase is? I, I'm, I'm dropping something off. Now, who, his, is it, who is it? That, who, who, who I'm says pretty this? sure it's, it's Stephen Ark. It's Stephen oh, Covey. Oh, Stephen Covey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he talked a lot about he talked a lot about finding their own voice, yeah, and about the overlap between um, to live, to love, to learn, to leave a legacy. That there was this right. Can you believe in them enough that they can see their own potential? Yeah, that was where I was going. And 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 this to him. If, so if you if you moved it from tomato plants to an actual person, this is what he would tell you. You really do as a leader. These are the conditions for growth. Mm. And, and, and so that's right. I guess that's the, that's the final part of it. Right. Um, you know, can you, can you really overlap those needs in a way, um, that allows someone, he called it, sometimes he would refer to it as the fire within that you get banging on all four of those cylinders. You you really find there's something there. And he was very optimistic about what people were capable and what the potential was. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Well, down to the last couple of questions, I always ask the same uh, the same last two to all my guests. And this one is a little bit more uh, 
putting you on the spot because you're so big on, on setting goals and stuff. So I always start with asking the age question. So how old are you currently? 52. 52. Okay. Cool. I have the body of a 51 year old. <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> so 10 years down the road, you're going to be 62 and hopefully have yeah. the body of a 61 year old. Um, what does 62 year old um, Chris McChesney look like? What are you currently doing? And, and what have you done and accomplished? Um, that's a really good question. That's th and thank you, by the way, for asking that. That's a, that's a Stephen Covey question if I've ever heard one. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd like this work to be about 50% of my life. And I'd like, um, I'd like to be doing some work for my church. And I, I not... And I'm not, there are people that are better at service than me and other things like that, but there's just a particular component that I'd like to be able to give some more time to. I think I'll be into the grandchild game. I've got a couple daughters that got married this year. Oh, congrats. I see myself doing a lot more of that. And um, there's, a, there's a book, a non-business book that I'd like to be, and it might take the form of a book and it might take the form of a series of videos, but I, I really would love... Um, uh, to do some work um, on uh, yep. picking up some work on on, on a topic called um, intelligent design, and it's the it's the uh, how many markers there are for a divine creator in the work that's being done in um, in quantum physics, and uh, and I'd, I'd I'd like to I'd like to start compiling that. So there's a there's a number of sort of more I, I don't know different topics I'd like to be. I, and, and so I don't know if that's a great question, but, but no, I like it. a little more church, a little more baby grandkids, and then into, into, this, into this topic of intelligent design. Yeah, no, I think that's perfect. Um, and, and I think the, literally the reason why I asked that question is because I need to make sure I'm working on that myself. And it, and it all comes down to what we've talked about all, all episode is being able to find something because then it creates the game and you know kind of whether or not you're getting closer or whether or not, you're, or, or if you're not. And, and even if, even if the thing that you pick 10 years from now, Nick, and I tell my kids, this isn't where you actually stand 10 years from now, you're going to stand at a really cool place that wouldn't have existed if you hadn't picked somewhere. Exactly. So it may take you somewhere you didn't intend to go, but having a target will get you somewhere. Yeah. And I'm going to get to the last question, but I think it's really important because I, I've always known that. And I, to me, I've said it to myself as you need to be willing to be flexible with certain things. Like you, you only know so much. Like I don't, I don't know all the answers. So while I set, while I set a goal or set name, right? Who am I? Who am I to say that that's even the right goal or the right aim? So you have to be willing to be flexible. But S Stephen M. R. Covey, in my interview with him, he said it's always a balance of creation and detection. Say it again, creation and detection. Yeah, yeah. That's why. That's why I said I can't tell you when the book's going to be done. Because there's so much detection involved in that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think that's so super important for us to to be able to realize. Because if you're all hell bent on one thing, then you're going to miss some other things along the way. Uh, but before I ask the last question, I want to acknowledge you for for a number of things, but for really your consistent work on this for so long. Because I think I've always preached to myself and to others as much as I can the power of consistency. And for you to be able to work, like you started on this kind of in 2003, you said, and now it's 2019 and you've constantly- I have ADD. Yeah. Well, that, 
And that was the other thing to be be cut in like it since you have the ADD or whatever, you've been able to you know stay focused enough to be able to constantly learn and constantly be flexible and not always say like this is the way and if and if it's not working for that company, it's just be it's you guys and the willingness to be right, flexible and yeah. to adapt and to detect those certain things. Um, so I really acknowledge you for that. And then your your future goals of wanting to go on to uh, some different things and uh, support your church and uh, support your kids and, and grandkids a little bit more. I think that's awesome. Um, but tell, so tell everybody where they can find a little bit more about you, um, learn more um, about you and, and the book and everything like that. All right. Yeah. So uh, uh, 40xbook.com uh, or you can just go to the Franklin Covey website on execution. Okay. And are you on social media at all or? Yeah, yeah. Or just hit me on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, and we do, by the way, we're doing one day uh, master classes, uh, full day execution master classes around the country. Um, and so if you want to hit me on LinkedIn, uh, we'll get you the, uh, just, it's just Chris McChesney. Uh, and, and, uh, and we'll get you the, let us know. We'll get you the cities and the, and the locations and, uh, yeah, just to, Nick, I appreciate the uh, appreciate the opportunity, and this has been this has been awesome. It's been really great talking to you. I'm excited to see where your life goes. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow you. <laughs> of course, well, I appreciate it. So the last question we've we've touched on probably a number of things that you might go to here, but it's called Best You Podcast. I'm all about defining on how to become the best version of yourself, and like I mentioned beforehand, reverse engineering that. Um, so what I want to ask, and so I also believe it's a very unique journey. The way that I'm going to become the best version of myself is going to be different than the way that you become the best version of yourself. And I also believe it's a constant journey. We're always working towards that person. So what I want to ask for you personally is if you could currently work on or do three things to get closer to that best version of yourself. What are three things that you could currently do or currently work on? If I, if I can every day carve out 15 to 20 minutes um, with scriptures. And if you're not religious, that could be wisdom literature. It, it, it lowers my blood pressure, my anxiety level. It just grounds me as a human being. If I could do that more consistently, it would have a big impact. That's, that's number one. That's the, the first thing right off the bat. Number two is block a little bit of time in the morning before I just attack all the urgency. I got a good friend right now that he does not schedule anything before 9 a.m. And he's up at like 6.30 and he's got a whole bunch of stuff he gets done and he has this, right? I think it's a really healthy, I think it's a really, really healthy way um, to live um, is, is, is with that in mind. And then the third thing, I am gonna get out of my hotel room when I'm in foreign cities. I am all over the earth and I don't see anything. I'm going to go, I want to go like, like Bill Murray. Like he just goes around and meets people. I like, that's all he does. I'm just going to go meet people, places like not be so locked in. Like when I get to my hotel room, I'm just going to get out and I may get mugged or stabbed or something. <laughs> I'm going to go out. I'm going to read some, read your script, reading scriptures or wisdom literature, get some space in the morning and get out of my hotel room and meet some people. Well, for get out of your hotel room, create a game out of it. How many That's people it. can you meet? I got it. There it is. That's a, that would really lend itself. I could kind of have a whole Where's Waldo theme or something. I could do <laughs> like the, oh, the, the interesting person with each trip kind of There you thing. go. There you go. Well, that's awesome. Well, that's all we got. I appreciate your time, Chris. Thanks so much. Thanks, Nick. Great interview. Appreciate it, buddy. 
Take care. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And because I know you did, be sure to leave it a five-star rating and review on iTunes or your Apple Podcast app. If you're on the app, just scroll to the bottom of the page, click five stars, and then let me know your favorite part. That would really go a long way in supporting the show and helping it move up the podcast ranks. Also, go ahead and share it with one friend or family member. Just take the link from the podcast or text them, hey, check this out, nickcarrier.com slash podcast, and it'll take them right to the episode. Help me spread this amazing knowledge and inspiration that Chris has shared here today. If you know someone who maybe isn't focused on their own goals, send them this episode. If you know someone who wants so badly to achieve a goal but keeps coming up short, shoot them a quick text with the link to this podcast. Give them that spark they need to get closer to the best version of themselves. To learn more about Chris, you can find him and the four discipline workshops on LinkedIn and through the Franklin Covey website. You can also find his book at www.4dxbook.com. Again, the number 4D as in davidxbook.com. Remember, when you're going after your goals to ask yourself if your action steps that you're trying to take, are they both predictive and influenceable? Is the thing that you're doing actually going to get you closer and is what you're doing within your scope of control? There's so much great content here, but make sure you get even more specific details by getting a copy of his book, The Four Disciplines of Execution. But for now, you know what time it is. It's time to go out and upgrade yourself today to get closer and closer to your best you. You.